the house of God. I want you to take your Bible this morning, go to Matthew chapter number 6, and remain standing just for a few minutes. Didn't the choir do awesome? Amen. I want to thank the Lord for Brother Jalen, uh, for Brother Dustin, just for the choir, the church staff, all, everybody that, that makes up all the teams and the volunteers from the parking lot to the sound to, to everybody. Give God a hand for your brothers and sisters. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. You can probably tell Pastor uh, Malcolm is not here. My name's Travis Sharp. I'm the director of Unsheltered International, and I'm glad that I get to uh, be the backup quarterback today. Amen. And uh, it's exciting for me. I'm not trying to fill his shoes because his feet are way bigger than mine. Amen. Uh, I'm glad we got one of the best pastors in America. Amen. And uh, thank God for him. And I told the other two services that... Uh, my history with the Carter family goes back a long time. Uh, Pastor Malcolm's daddy led me to the Lord and on August the 1st of 1994, uh, sitting in the front seat of his car at their home. Uh, he shared the gospel with me and I prayed and uh, asked the Lord into my heart and began to follow Jesus. Then a few months later at uh, Preacher Malcolm's house, at about midnight one night, I uh, surrendered my life to the call to preach. And uh, then about three weeks or about two weeks later, uh, Preacher Malcolm was filling in for his dad at Bethel there at the church in Fort Pierce, Florida. And on that night, I walked forward and uh, came to the altar and prayed and made my call to preach public. So Pastor Malcolm was preaching the night that, uh, uh, that I made my surrendering to preach public and he put his arm around me. And I'll never forget this. He said, uh, he said, I know, we were standing right at the altar. He said, I know you're scared to death. He said, you don't have to say nothing. I got this. And he put his arm around me, and he announced to the church that I was uh, called to preach. And I was standing there shaking in my shoes. Had no idea what the future would hold. Had no idea if I could do it. And then Big Malcolm, as I refer to him, Big Malcolm, he, uh, he came and he called me up. He said, listen. He said, my boy told, tells me you're called to preach. I said, yeah, 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 yes, sir. He said, well, you're preaching Sunday. <laughs> oh, yes. That's how them Carters roll, man. They're crazy. I said, preaching Sunday what? He said, that's between you and God. And so I went back to Preacher Malcolm's house, your Preacher Malcolm. And uh, stayed up for, I guess it was midnight again. And, uh, and I practiced. He gave me a sermon on John 3.16. I was practicing it on him. And he fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> God is my witness. He fell asleep. And, uh, and I thought, oh, it's going to be rough, rough, rough. Uh, anyway, I don't know what makes me think of that. I'm just glad for the opportunity. Amen. Glad to be here and glad that God really did call me and it wasn't just bad pizza. Let's look at Matthew chapter number 6. I'm going to read a few verses. I want to start in verse 1. The Bible says, Take heed that ye, that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, 
Do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. I want to go now to verse 19. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to go now to verse 30. The Bible says, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I want to read one more verse, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. I want to pray with you. And you pray for me. And then I want to talk to you this morning about three wars, three lessons. Three wars, three lessons. Let's, let's pray. Father, I love you. I want to thank you for this time that's allotted for your word. I just pray, Lord, you just make it alive unto us. Lord, those that are going through the fire, I pray your word would just be their help. Those that need encouragement, I pray your word would do that. Lord, those that may be lost and need to be saved, I pray your word would speak to them that way. And I pray you'd help us and anoint us and bless us and use us. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. Would you agree with me uh, this morning that the Christian life many times can be a real struggle and a real difficulty. Can I get a witness? Uh, if that wasn't the case, then we wouldn't have altars filled with, with brokenness and we wouldn't have difficulties in this life. But life is tough whether you're a Christian or not. I thought that uh, when I got saved, that that. The day I got saved and the couple, three, four days after, maybe a week or two after, I felt relieved. I thought, shoo, man, here's what I thought. I thought, I got that over with. I thought that I had just made my peace with God and that now God would let me get on with my life because I took care of that part. I had no idea that he was fixing to invade every part of my life. Here's what I found out. The things I used to do, when I tried to do them, they, they didn't, it wasn't fun no more. The, the, the people I used to run with, when I went back and tried to run with them and do the same stuff, all of a sudden it was difficult. And it wasn't difficult before God changed the way I thought thought about stuff and when you got saved I'm going to go out on a limb here and probably say that God changed a lot of things in your life too I thought it would be easy come to find out it was hard now let me say this my my worst day 
as a child of God is still better than my best day lost not knowing God. Give God a hand right there. But, but it's difficult. Life is difficult. I think for the Christian there's three main reasons. I think number one, uh, life gets difficult because we battle a sinful nature. If you were here Wednesday night, um, you heard Pastor Malcolm make a statement that when he got saved that God quickened his spirit, made his spirit alive, but his flesh did not get saved. The old man, the old nature that is prone to sin is still with you and I after we come to the Lord for salvation. And that causes a struggle between the Spirit of God within us and our flesh. They are contrary one to the other. And I believe we, we struggle because of our sinful nature. I believe we struggle also because, because we are in a spiritual warfare in a spiritual warfare the bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places there is literally hosts of demons and devils that hate you because of christ and our fight's not with our wife, our, our fight's not with your husband, our fight is not with anybody here on this earth. Our fight is against spiritual wickedness in high places. And therefore the Christian life is a struggle. I think also the Christian life can be a struggle because simply because God's ways are not our ways. That old nature that I spoke about wants to do its own thing. Can I get a witness? I mean, so many times I'm wanting to go here, but God says, no, we're going to go there. The Bible said in Isaiah 55, I think it's verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And so the Christian life can be a struggle, and I believe that Matthew chapter 6 sums this up by, by describing three wars that are going on inside of every believer. So I want to give you these three wars, and for every war there's a lesson that I think God wants us to learn. War number one is what I call privacy versus publicity. Privacy versus publicity. That's found in verses 1 through 18. In verse 4, 1 through 4, God uh, spoke uh, uh, to his disciples during this sermon. He spoke to them about giving, their alms, their charitable or religious type of giving. In verses 5 through uh, 13, he spoke to them about praying and how, were, how they were to say their prayers and talk to their father. In verses 16 through 18, he speaks about fasting. In each of these accounts, Jesus tells his disciples something that caught my eye. And anytime you read the same phrase or the same, the same set of words several times, God's trying to tell us something. He said this in each one of them. He said, be not as the hypocrites are. Be not as the hypocrites are. We know that a hypocrite is an actor. A hypocrite is, it means 
costume. It means disguise. It means one thing here and another thing there. And Jesus says, I don't want my followers or my disciples being as the hypocrites are. Well, he went on to describe that. He said concerning giving, the hypocrites would sound a trumpet before them so that everyone could hear and see their charity. He said concerning praying that they would stand in the street corners and in the synagogues so that they could be seen of men. Concerning fasting, Jesus told his disciples that the hypocrites would disfigure their faces and that they would, so that they would look sad on purpose to gain sympathy from the onlookers and so that everyone would know what they were doing. Jesus was very concerned that his disciples not be like the hypocrites because the hypocrites were losing their heavenly reward and Jesus wanted to be sure the disciples did not lose their reward. About these hypocrites, Jesus says that they had a reward, but it was their reward. Not the reward that God promises to them that do good, but but the reward which they promised themselves, and a poor reward it was, one writer said. In other words, Jesus saying, look, when, when they do their prayers, and they do it so that everybody sees and hears, the hearing of their fellow man, and the eyesight, and the notoriety of their fellow man, that is the reward. That's what Jesus meant when he said they have their reward. So they had a reward, but it was their reward. And they had a reward, but it was a present reward. What Jesus meant by that, I believe, is when somebody sees us and gives us accolades, we have a reward immediately. And don't we live in a microwave society? We want everything now. I'm the world's worst about it. I mean, I want it now, man. Today, Jesus is saying their reward was theirs and it was present. And so he's telling the disciples and teaching them that a reward from your heavenly Father in eternity always trumps what you can get down here presently and from men. You see, the problem was that their motives were corrupt. The purposes were distorted and they were seeking their own glory. You see this war that goes on within us. Our flesh wants everybody to know. God says pray in secret. I'll reward thee openly. There's a lesson here for us to, to learn. You say preacher what's the lesson? Here it is. Private service equals public reward. Because God gets all the glory. When I was um, at Victory Baptist Church in North Augusta, South Carolina, I was there for 15 years. That's where we had the homeless shelter, the Garden City Rescue Mission, and that's where I began, uh, went to Bible college and everything. And uh, Several years into me being there, the pastor, Pastor Brown, asked me to sit on the platform uh, like the staff members did. All of them sat on the platform during the services, and, and I, I was like, well, I don't know why you want me up there, but okay, I'll, I'll sit up there. And, so I perched myself every service on the platform. 
And my job, my only job, was at the beginning of the service, I took the microphone, and after the, the opening song, I would walk out and do the opening prayer. And, and, and service after service after service, I would go out, and it was my job to open up in prayer. And, man, I would come out there, and I would just pray with all of my might. And, I mean, I would just get after it and sound like a, a Kawasaki motorcycle up there just to going after it, you know. And uh, that's just how I did it. Well, one, one day after church, I was coming down off the platform, and I met a lady, a uh, very sweet lady, member of our church, and she met me right down here, and she grabbed my hands. She said, Travis, honey, I need you to pray. And I said, okay, and she, she went to describing this prayer request, a very uh, serious problem and uh, some type of issue with the family or whatever. And she said, she, she told me the, the thing, she said, will you pray? And I said, well, yes, ma'am. She said, okay, she said, I came to ask you to pray because I know you're probably the best prayer warrior in the whole church. And when she said that, it was as if the Lord was standing right beside me going, <clears throat> you going to let her believe that boy? And I was like, oh, I'm going to pray for you, yes ma'am. And God was saying, really? Prayer warrior, huh? Best prayer warrior in the church, huh? You see, it wasn't long before I had to find me a quiet spot in the altar. And say, oh God, me and you know the truth. I'm sorry. You see, I would pray fervently in front of the people. What Jesus is saying is this. If your private life doesn't match up with your public life, you're as the hypocrites are and you are losing your reward. She'd have been a lot, I thought, I've thought this for years. She'd have been a lot better off to have found a widow. She'd have been a lot better off to have found some, somebody that nobody even knows comes to the church and ask them to pray. Privacy versus publicity. Let me ask you this question right here. Do you realize that God knows why we do what we do? Let me ask you something else. Will you commit to today to allowing God to get all the glory out of your life by making everything you do primarily between you and God? You say, well, is it wrong to pray in public? No, but it's wrong if most of your prayers are in public. Is it wrong that somebody knows what you gave? No, unless you did it so they would know what you gave. Is it wrong if somebody finds out that you're fasting? No. As long as they find out and you don't go announce it to them. So war number one is privacy versus publicity. Can I share with you war number two is temporal versus eternal. Temporal versus e eternal. Uh, these are some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, verses 19 and following. The Bible says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through and steal. Jesus is saying, 
that this life on earth will be like a war. You're going to be allured to everything that's temporary. You're going to want everything that glitters. You're going to want to have what everybody else has and and experience what everybody else experiences. You're going to want the best of everything and the, the finest of all. Jesus says those are things that rust. Those are things that at the end of the day are meaningless. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Matthew chapter 10 verse 39. That verse says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And I've meditated on that verse a lot and thought about it and prayed over it a lot. And and, and I don't think, I know all the meaning, but here's what God showed me. He showed me there's a principle and a promise in that verse. The principle is this, the word findeth. He that findeth his life, that means to search for. It means, findeth means to hunt for, to look for, to work for until you get it. So what Jesus is saying is, if you search, if you spend your whole life trying to build your own kingdom here on this earth, ultimately that person loses that which he worked so hard for. So the principle is, if we work hard to to make ourselves look good, we lose it. The promise is this. The verse says, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Here it is. For my sake literally means for my cause. For me. I have met people, and you have too, that... It seems like they're trying to fit in two different worlds. Trying to live two different lives. Trying to be two different people. On Sunday, they're Johnny Christian. Sally go to Sunday school. But during the week, it's a whole nother animal. What Jesus is saying here is that if you want to have the great things of God, you can't search for, hunt for, and work to make yourself look and be good and get all the glory. But he that, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The word for my sake means for my cause. So Jesus is literally saying here, If you will put your life on hold for me, for my cause, for my sake. Jesus said in the Great Commission, go ye therefore and and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. How are we going to do that? Well, we might have to put our cause on hold and live our life as disciples for his sake. For his sake. But there's a war that goes on, isn't there? Temporal versus eternal. I remember just a couple months ago, the the typhoon hit the Philippines. You remember that? It was all the news organizations had to to talk about for a few days. And now you're hard-pressed to find information about it. 
Over four million people left homeless. Several thousand lost their lives. The day after that um, storm, my phone rang, and it was a pastor friend of mine, Brother Todd Cruisenberry from Bristol, Virginia, and he said, Travis, you know that I go to the Philippines on missions trips, and I'm good friends with Pastor Antonio Nur, and uh, I'm sending him some money tomorrow so that he can get started and we can help him with aid work. And uh, he said, would you be interested in, in sending some money also? And I said, well, yeah, we got a little bit, so we'll, we'll send him some. So the very next day, um, I went to Walmart, went to the MoneyGram machine, and we wired a few hundred bucks to Pastor Antonio in the Philippines. Well, because I had wired that money, I figured, man, I, I better pray for him. So I began to pray. So we sent money, and now we're praying. Well, two or three days later, uh, Pastor Antonio sent me a friend request and a message on Facebook. He said, hello, Pastor Travis. My name is Antonio, and he introduced himself, and thank you for what you sent. This is what we're doing. And we began to private message each other back and forth. So now I'm in, getting into this thing pretty deep. I done sent money. Now I'm praying every day. Now I meet the pastor, and I guess you're really good friends if you're friends on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're official friends. And now I'm talking to him every day, and we're talking back and forth. Well, about a week and a half later, the phone rang again. And it was, uh, it was another pastor friend of mine that went to the Philippines last year with Brother Antonio. And he said, Travis, he said, I want to talk to you about something. He said, I know. He said, before you answer me, he said, just hear me out. And anytime this guy says that, it's, it's like it's fixing to cost you money and, and everything. He said, listen, he said, we've already got a team going to the Philippines in April. He said, but because of this urgent situation, we desire to move that up to as soon as we can get out, hopefully January. He said, but a lot of the team won't be able to go because of the finances and everything. He said, it's going to cost several thousand dollars uh, to make this happen. He said, uh, he said, but God laid you on my heart, and I know you uh, know of Pastor Antonio. He said, would you be willing to commit to going to the Philippines? Now they want us to come help them. And I said, well, sure. And then it was like, you ever say something? And then you like step away from yourself and you say, man, what are you doing? I said, well, well sure, man. Just write my name down and put a big check mark beside it. Then I thought, I said, matter of fact, you can probably just go ahead and write April's name down and put a check beside her. She'll go. He said, good. Okay, I'm glad we got you on board. He said, it's going to be about $2,700 each. It's going to take this. It's going to take that. I said, well, okay, God will provide. But literally, after our conversation, I hung up the phone, had we didn't have dates. We didn't have no details. We didn't have, all I knew is we better get busy raising a pile of money. And it was a long way and a short time to get there. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I hung up and I thought and I prayed and I said, well, Lord, I guess we're going. And then I thought, I said, now, Lord, how come is it that I can wrestle 
and try to find out what God's will is for months over some things. And how come I just told him yes without even praying? You know, I was reading this verse and this came to me. Verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, we invested a little money. We invested a lot of praying. I invested in a brand new friendship. Invested in several conversations. So when the opportunity to do more came, I didn't have to pray. I was already invested. Some people say, well, well, preacher, I'm going to start giving to missions when God lays it on my heart. You may never start if you wait on that. Why, does God, why, sh- why should God be obligated to lay something on our heart that he's already clearly stated we're to do? You say, well, I'm going to start tithing just as, just as soon as God impresses me. He impressed you when he, when he wrote the Bible. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Here's the point. Wherever we're putting our treasure, that's where our heart will wind up. The lesson under this point is this. Our allegiance always follows our investments. If you wonder, well, I just don't seem to really care about such and such. Well, are you investing in it? You know, I hate to wash a car. It's like, you may as well just pluck my fingernails off as to make me wash a car. But I get, you know, I know people that, man, they, they, they'll wash it 25 times a week. And I thought, well, man, they're just weird. Then I thought, if I paid $50,000 for that thing, I'd be washing it too every day. My point is this. Our... Treasure does not follow our heart. Our heart follows our treasure. Let me ask you this question as we move on. Will you decide today to begin investing in eternity more than you ever have? I think, listen, I think it's time to buckle down. I think it's time to put the seatbelt on and say, God, let's do this thing. God, help me to get very serious, more than I've ever been before. Help me to give my life to make a difference. Let me give you the last and final war. Three wars and three lessons. The last war is this. Fear versus faith. The concluding verses in this chapter of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really talking to his disciples about being afraid. Afraid of how we're going to have clothing. Afraid of... Where will we find food? And and Jesus, I think he finally gets a little upset in verse 30. He said, listen, take no thought for this. He said, don't think about where you're going to eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal you shall be clothed. In verse 31, in verse 30, he just hauls off and he says, oh, ye of little faith. I think what he's saying is, I know it's a struggle. I know it's a battle. I know your flesh says it's scary and to be afraid. But I'm telling you, to trust in me. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of this year? What's your fears? I got a list as long as my leg. 
And it's a war. It's a daily battle. But I'm asking God every day to help me put my faith above my fear. And I wonder if you'll do that with me today. Let me share this with you and we'll be done. Uh, I was at my dad's house. He lives in Kentucky. And we were there a few weeks ago, back before Christmas. And I was cleaning out his shed because he don't even know where his shed is, much less clean the thing out. He just throws stuff in. I think he sits and drinks coffee and says, oh, my boy will be up here sometime this year. He'll clean that up. And I was out there cleaning the, the shed up, and I found this article. It was not in the plastic. I found this newspaper article laying on the floor of the shed. And I picked it up, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I was, I was like a kid in a candy store. I couldn't believe what I was reading. The title says, we were only doing a job, say, police heroes Steve Hinion and, and Harvey Sharp. My dad was a, a police officer in the 60s in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, one day, this article tells all about it, one day there was some guys that had uh, robbed a place and two rookie cops came up on them and caught them. But the rookie cops, they'd been out of the uh, police academy for five weeks. They went up and they arrested the guys, but they didn't handcuff them and they didn't pat them down. Put the bad guys in the back of the patrol car. The bad guys had a gun. Shot the, the police officer that was driving in the back of the head and killed him. The other one ran, but they shot him in the back five times. He made it to a phone booth, called uh, the dispatcher, and the dispatcher called the closest patrol car, which happened to be my dad and his partner. And they headed over there. They were just a few blocks away. And this tells all about it. And, uh, and they got on the scene, and, they, and, and they, when they got on the scene, the two bad guys had finally got out of the back of that patrol car, and they were headed to the phone booth to finish off this police officer that they'd shot five times already. My dad and his partner pulls up, and in my dad's own words, we just got out and took the gun away from him. I said, Dad, what does that mean? How do you just get out of the car and take the gun away? What does that mean? He said, well, we just, he just gave up. I said, back up. How, what do you, how did he just give up? He said, oh. I said, Dad, weren't you scared? Here's what my dad told me. He said, oh, we was just answering a call. And that's what it says here in this article. It says that um, Patrolman Sharp echoed the sentiment saying, I know there isn't an officer on the force who wouldn't have done the same thing. We were just answering a call. I thought, me? I'd answer the call all right. At the donut shop or something, I, ain't no way I'm going into the face of fire. Ain't no way I'm running to the trouble. I saw that article and I'm like, my dad's a hero. He said, oh, I ain't thought about that in years. Just answering a call. You know what I think God might be asking us today? Who's answering the call? Listen, I don't think God needs a handful of more flashy Christians that can brag about what they're doing for Jesus. I think he needs some foot soldiers that will answer the call. And I wonder today, would you answer the call, fight the good fight of faith, finish your course? It's a war, temporal versus eternal. 
fear versus faith, the privacy versus publicity. But I want to tell you this, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He's already got the victory, and we can live for God, and we can take this year by storm. Amen. Hallelujah to God. Let's all stand, if you will. Everybody stand with me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I praise the Lord for His goodness to us. I wonder today, I wonder today what God has spoken to your heart about. Whatever that is, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to step out of your seat. Find a place around this altar and do business with God. I don't know what he said to you, but, but I know God's faithful to speak to his children. To somebody, he might have said, you need to step out by faith. You need to let go. You need to take the training wheels off. To another, he may have said, listen, it's time to start investing in eternity. It's time to get serious about this. Father, I love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness of God. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I pray you'd speak to every person in the room. God, I pray that we would all attend to your voice. Lord, there may be someone here today that's never been saved. God, if that's the case, if that's the case, Lord, I pray that you would draw them right now with sweet conviction of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray they'd be born into the family of God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this question. If you was to die today, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that your heart is right with God? Life's too short and too precious to take chances. Say, preacher, I don't know if I died today. I don't know where my eternal home would be. I have questions. I've never been saved, and I want you to pray for me. Is there one anywhere? Slip your hand up and say, Preacher, just say a prayer for me. God bless you in the middle. I see that hand. You can put it down, and I see that hand to my left in the back. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I see that hand. I see that hand to my left and another to my left. I see that one in the middle. I see that one in the middle. I see that one in the back right. I see another one. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, the, the problem is not being uncertain about your standing before God. That's not the problem. The problem is not solving it when you realize it. I want to make you a promise today. If God is speaking to your heart, and you make a move toward God, I believe He'll take a move, make a move towards you. If you need to be saved, you can call out to God today. Matter of fact, we have some men and ladies here on this altar that have Bibles. If you're a lady here and you need to know how to be saved, you can step out of your seat and find your way to the altar and one of these ladies will take their Bible and they'll take a moment and they'll pray with you. If you're a man and you want to know more about knowing Jesus as your Savior, we have some gentlemen on the altar that would be happy to meet you here. You don't even have to come by yourself. There's somebody that will meet you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Brother Jalen to sing. And as he sings, if you raise your hand, 
you need God to do something for you, I'm going to ask you to come. Go ahead, Brother Jalen. While he sings, I must you come. Tell Jesus come and tell Jesus about it. Would you come? All of my trials, because I cannot bear these burdens alone. Listen, if you had faith enough to raise your hand. In my distress, He and make a move toward God. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? I must tell Jesus I cannot bear my burdens alone. Hallelujah. I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Let's do this. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I hope, I hope that, that you have time for this. I hope that you have time to wait on somebody that's doing business for God. You ever thought about this? You ever thought maybe they sang that next verse just for you? You ever thought maybe God allowed that invitation to tarry just for me? The Lord's speaking to your heart. I want you to hear Him right now. I'm going to pray for you like I said I would. And I want you to do whatever God tells you. Father in heaven, I love you so much. I want to pray for each one that has a need this morning. Lord, I believe there's some people here this morning that need to turn their life over to you to begin to follow you by repenting and trusting Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that faith would win out over fear. And I pray you'd have your will in your way and bless right now. Touch us, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. I'm going to have Jalen sing another verse while these are praying. I want you to come. If you need the Lord, you come. So I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. Tell Jesus, and Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. All right, it's time for us to worship with our giving, and uh, the ushers have made themselves ready. I pray that you're ready to worship the Lord with your 
tithe and offering, your missions giving, your, your building uh, fund giving. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless. Father, I love you so much. Thank you for your goodness. I pray you'd bless this offering. Use it all to bring people to Christ and to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Y'all go right ahead. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll